SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Sumer, and super excited to be joined today uh, by a guest uh, of whom that we're trying to get inside the mind of, uh, inside the mind of a VC in particular. And what we're looking to see is, you know, what, what does a VC look for when investing in, in SaaS startups? Um, so uh, whose uh, mind uh, are, are we looking at? So, well, I'd like to uh, introduce Michael Tresco, um, our partner at Eight Roads Ventures. Uh, welcome to the show, Michael. Hey Alex, thanks for having me. No, no it's, a, it's it's a real pleasure, Michael. Um, now uh, I, I know that you've uh, listened to the podcast uh, uh, before, and you, you know um, uh, as well as our audiences that uh, we always kind of start off getting to know uh, you know our guests. Um, so we're not you know breaking the uh, 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 the mold sort of here. So you tell us a little bit about um, you know who is Michael Tresco. Yeah, happy to. I mean, look, so. Um let me start with the personal stuff. So I'm, um, I'm Russian originally, grew up in Germany. Um, I then moved to the States uh, for college and stayed there. And so I lived and worked in, in the U.S. for about 12, 13 years um, and then moved back to, to London from San Francisco about uh, 40 years ago. Um, I really focus on, you know, technology investing. I um, spent about uh, six years at a firm called Warburg Pincus in the U.S., in New York, and in San Francisco doing cross-stage investing in technology companies. I then spent about three years at uh, Excel in London doing the same thing in, in Europe and have now recently joined Eight Roads. Okay, great stuff. Thanks for the background there. And, um, you, you know, it seems... Uh, uh, you certainly, you've uh, you travelled the globe there in um, uh, you, you know in, in your sort of young uh, life. Uh, so must have been uh, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, must be very interesting. And uh, and I guess that's probably where um, you, you've got the American uh, twang from uh, as well, right? So, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So um, you, so you, as you said, you, you've been um, at Warburg Pincus. You, you've had three years at the uh, the very well known. Uh, Axel, uh, Axel Partners, um, uh, and now you're at uh, Eight Roads Ventures. So tell us about Eight Roads Ventures. You know um, uh, who are they? Uh, you know what stage do sort of Eight Roads invest in? Why did you join Eight Roads? Um, you know after Excel. Um, you know and, and tell us about some of the SaaS companies that you've uh, invested in. Yeah. So look, uh, Eight Roads is a global venture firm. Uh, we have offices in, in London, and um, I also have colleagues in uh, in India, China, Japan, and the U.S., uh, where across all of us, we manage about $4 billion uh, uh, investing in technology. Um, I think that in itself is, a, is an interesting differentiation point if you think about Europe, right? Uh, because I think we're hoping to help entrepreneurs both in terms of uh, scaling internationally if that fits the model or at least uh, have access to a global community of entrepreneurs um, to, to learn from uh, what might have worked for other people in other countries. Um, I think in terms of the focus, um, you know, in, in Europe, we really focus on what we call scale-up opportunities. Uh, so these are technology companies that have uh, built a product, they have found product market fit and are now in varying stages of scaling their go-to-market. Um, and, and this is ultimately where we want to be helpful with, uh, which to me is sort of the question, how, how do you get from a great product and a great team and, and maybe a handful of customers to uh, you know, a, a really large financially successful company, um, which I think is, is not a trivial one and, and where we're hoping to help. Um, 
you know, we, we do that really in, in Europe across um, all verticals, including uh, consumer um, enterprise and, and fintech and, and, and SaaS clearly is, uh, is a big focus for us. So, you know, some of the portfolio companies that, that we have are companies like, uh, like Recurly, uh, which helps um, companies with, with recurring billing. Uh, Good Data, which is uh, which is a, uh, a BI player, um, you know, Manthan Software, uh, Ping Identity, uh, and and companies like like Neo Technology, uh, which uh, it, you know, is a database provider and may not be SaaS in you know in the technical definition, but but has a recurring business model, which you know to me is probably the more important part. Okay, and what, why did you uh, why did you join uh, Eight Roads? Um, you know, after Excel. Uh, Look, I mean, I think for me it was sort of a pretty exciting opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to join a friend of mine, uh, Davor Havel, who, who's a partner here, um, and, and also do something a little bit more entrepreneurial and, and you know, really help build uh, the, the franchise in Europe, which I find very exciting. Okay, excellent. And, and so, I mean, thanks for the, uh, the, the background to yourself and to Eight Roads there. Um, so I, I guess throughout your uh, career, you know, Warburg, um, uh, Axel and uh, Eight Roads, you know, what, what SaaS investments have you been involved in? Um, you know, some that we may know, some that we, we, we might not know. Uh, and, and can you tell us, um, you know, why uh, in particular did you invest in uh, those companies? Yeah, uh, in, in, interesting one. So I think a couple of the companies um, I was involved with are, for example, uh, Shift Technology, which does um, fraud monitoring for uh, for insurance companies. So that's a, a French SaaS business, or or Qubit uh, Software, which uh, which is a London business that does personalization for websites, uh, or um, you know, Packlink in Spain. Uh, which uh, which helps SMEs with uh, with their shipping, and so they provide a um, you know a SaaS platform for for SMEs to help them with shipping. Um, you know all all of them, you know what I think have in common is sort of this old uh, team product market um, framework that that we think about. Where you know I, I think I was excited about um, about the people there. I had thought that they had built uh, a really Interesting, compelling product uh, that that solved a, a customer need, and on the market side, where I thought it was, uh, you know, a really large opportunity to to build a compelling company. So I think that those kind of, you know, they have all that in common. We can talk about individual ones uh, in detail if you like, but that's kind of how I thought about it. Okay, I mean, let's look at. Uh, I mean, just um, going a little bit deeper, like in, in, into Qubit, uh, then, um, and so we we're talking about team, product, and market. Um, can you kind of you know elaborate on that then? Um, you know what was great about the team, particularly in that case. You know the the, the product and the market, which then led to that investment, which I think was with uh, Axel, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so um, you know on on the team side, uh, these are you know really uh, experienced entrepreneurs. Um, you know, uh, a, a lot of them previously uh, from Google who, who understood the space from, from the perspective. I think one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, subject matter expertise. It's, it's just really helpful when, uh, you know, when you're building a solution that you've had that problem in the past and you really understand the intricacies of it uh, beyond sort of uh, saying, 
I think there is a problem that needs solving, right? Because in the end, the devil is always in the details. And so um, having personal experience uh, with, the, with the topic helps a tremendous amount. Um, and um, on, on the product, I think what, what we saw is, um, is a relatively typical playbook where um, the, the company ultimately provides personalization software for websites that, that helps websites uh, deliver the right content to, to visitors, right? So, um, you know, when I, when I or, or you visit a website that um, they understand a little bit more about who you are and, and, and then the content that you see is actually things that might interest you, um, you know, e-commerce being, uh, being the perfect use case. Um, I think what we saw there is that this is by no means a new category, but but one where the uh, incumbents are legacy players uh, like like Adobe, who have had a product uh, out in the market for you know ten plus years, and where the technology stack was just somewhat dated, and um, where where since a lot of innovation has happened, um, and so you just now had an opportunity to you know build a better product using latest technology and, and insights and uh, solve a customer need that uh, was increasingly moving away from available solutions. Um, and so I think we see that a good amount in, uh, in, in SaaS where, um, you know, because you have a you know, more, more agile and, and real-time way of um, addressing customer needs, your product ends up being superior to a, uh, you know, legacy um, provider that 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 maybe uh, you know use use the license model and was on premise where uh, they just cannot improve the, the product quickly enough uh, to keep up with innovation so I think that was um, you know certainly the case here as well and then last but not least um, you know it is a large market um, where you know uh, if I told you that people are increasingly consuming information and content online you probably would not disagree with that statement and um, it, it just becomes more and more of a need for for companies to to make sure that the content you're present, presented with really reflects your interests. Okay, um, you, you know, thanks for that um, sort of more detailed, um, you, you know, sort of look at the the, the qubit uh, investment there. And and out out of interest, um, what was the value uh, and stage, you, you know, of, of that investment uh, in particular? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, we invested, I think it was um, the third round, I believe. Um, and, um, and I'm actually looking up what, uh, what, what is publicly available. Yeah, so um, it was a, you know, 26 million round in, uh, in 2014. Okay. Okay. Um, very cool. And, and so, be, you, you know, you've talked about team product market, you know, some of the, the, these are like three of the pillars that you're looking at when investing in, uh, well, technology and, and, and in this particular sort of case in, in, in SaaS, right? Um, what, what, what else do you look for when investing uh, in a SaaS company? Is it, is it just these three things uh, or, or sort of beyond that? You, you know, are, are there any other kind of things that, um, you know, should be interesting for, for, for SaaS founders that are listening, that are looking to raise? Yeah, so, look, fundamentally, the big three things still apply here. That's what ultimately, I think, drives the decision, right? So how good is the team? What product have they built? How attractive is the market, right? 
And then you go a little bit further further in and, and look at the specific companies, right? So I think you have the category questions that, that need to be answered, um, you know, with regards to, to the, the market dynamics and, and to what extent they create an opportunity. Um, you need to understand things like, like go to market and, and who is the target customer and to what extent there's alignment. And then there are all these, you know, the SaaS specific metrics that, um, you know, that, that are just really helpful in, in understanding uh, how, how the company is, is going to grow. Okay, and, and specifically on those metrics, um, you, you know, which metrics, uh, you know, are key for you in your decision making process? You know, are there kind of set metrics that, you know, every SaaS company must have for, you know, for Michael Tresco and for Eight Roads Ventures to invest in? Or is it, you know, different uh, depending on, um, you, you know, the, the, the company that you're looking at? Yeah, I think it, it very much depends, right? So I think holistically, we still think about what problem are you trying to solve? What is the solution? How much is the solution better than the existing solutions? And to what extent are you able to um, actually, you know, win, win the opportunity ahead of you, right? So that's, that's sort of very global. I think on a, on a metrics level, you know, the beauty of, of SaaS businesses is that they're relatively well understood. These are recurring models where you have a lot of metrics out there and you can benchmark yourselves, right? And so fundamentally what we think about is sort of the, the main question is sort of this customer lifetime value to customer acquisition cost equation. That's that's one of them, right? And, and ultimately it, it means what return are you getting on your investment, right? So if it costs you to, you know, $10 to acquire a customer, um, how much are you getting from this customer over over its lifetime, right? And so that's that's certainly one big metric that that we're focused on. And again, uh, these numbers all are all relatively, uh, you know, comparable again, you know, across the companies. I think the rule of thumb there is, you know, anything above 3x uh, starts becoming interesting. Anything below, you need to really understand why it is lower and if there are ways to change that. Right, and, and you can drill into the individual components of that equation, sort of the customer lifetime value versus uh, the customer acquisition cost, uh, right? And so on the lifetime value, it's really, you know, w what is your, the size of your customer, uh, what is the retention rate, and then what is the, the gross margin you're, you're getting on that, right? And so those three components, again, you know, you can analyze them and benchmark them and understand to what extent the company is doing better or worse there, right? I think in, in general, if I had to highlight something, it's, then it's probably the, you know, the retention point. I think mathematically, um, if you're losing a significant portion of your customers or revenues every year, you have to acquire more and more new customers just to stand still, right? And so I think that's that's one important uh, metric that, that I certainly look at, um, which also indicates ultimately how good the solution is solving a particular problem, right? So if you have a great product um, that is unique and differentiated and customers love it, uh, typically churn um, shouldn't be high or in some cases negative because customers are actually buying more and more of the product. Um, and so that's certainly one aspect that, uh, you know, we, we look a lot at. Um, I think another point here on, on the equation is, um, you know, the... the 
the marketing break-even point. So my, how many months does it cost you to recoup your your initial investment, right? So you could say, um, you know, our CLTV to CAC ratio is above three, so that's great. But if it, you know, takes you 20 years to get to that point, from a cash flow perspective, that's not very attractive, right? Um, so ideally, again, the rule of thumb here is that if you can recoup your marketing uh, spend or customer acquisition costs within 12 months, you're in a pretty good shape uh, because that means that the the money comes back into the company relatively quickly and your funding need is not as high, right? Um, so I think those are sort of around that ratio are some of the things that we look for. Um, and that's But that's ultimately the question on an individual level, right? So you're saying... Um, if I acquire a customer for X and in return I get Y in terms of uh, customer lifetime value, if that ratio is attractive, that's a positive. And then the other question becomes, well, how scalable is that model? So are you actually able to, to repeat that process with a uh, large enough number of customers, in which case you have a, uh, an attractive business, right? And, and there we, we sort of you know drill into the individual details around uh, – you know, the sales cycle, how long does it take, um, and, um, you know, whom it is that you're targeting in terms of your customer audience and, you know, what your sales method is, right? Like, are you doing an enterprise sale that is in person? Are you doing uh, inside sales on the phone? Is it something that you can actually do online, et cetera, et cetera? So a bit of a lengthy answer to, to your question, but all of these things uh, play a role. No, absolutely, and uh, and 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 sort of moving, I, I guess, sort of from metrics back to you, you know one of these sort of core pillars, the the, the, the team, right? So we kind of we, we, when we use Qubit as an example, um, they were experienced founders, they were ex Google, you know that, that that always kind of helps, right? Um, what what else you know beyond experience? Uh, you know, are you looking for? In founders and in the founding team, um, you, you know, it would be interesting to, uh, to to hear about that. Yeah. So, so look, I think subject matter expertise, as I mentioned, is great and, and is really helpful. Um, I think passion is very important, right? You you really want to get the sense that uh, the founder or founders are excited about what they're doing and that. They're going to do everything possible um, to make the company a success and that ultimately their energy is um, infectious and uh, attracts others to them, right? So one of the things that we're always asking ourselves is to what extent um, will these people be able to attract a team? And ideally, we'll be able to you know, hire people who, who are better than them. And if you're not very excited about what you're doing and if you don't have you know, a big w- vision – it may not be easy for you to, um, you know, really attract other members to your team, right? So I think that's um, that's pretty key. And then another thing that we're looking for is ultimately differentiated insight about the market or the business model, right? So so typically, um, the, these are spaces where where other people have tried um, succeeding before, right? Where there are incumbents and where the market works in a particular fashion. And the question to us is, um, what has this founder understood or recognized that might not be obvious to others? And 
what is this differentiated insight is that is going to allow them to succeed, right? Ideally, I want to come out of a meeting and say, wow, I've learned something today that I didn't know before, right? And, you know, there's tons of things that I don't know, but, you know, in a particular market, um, you know, that we've talked about in the presentation that there was something I came away with and I said, oh, that's interesting. That is something that was not obvious to me. And it seems as not obvious to others in the space. And I think that's an interesting angle for the company to take to to succeed here. Well, what about, uh, I mean, do you do you ever invest in solo founders? Uh, if so, you, you know, who, well, you don't have to say who, but why? Um, if not, why? So, so the short answer is yes. Um, we don't have any hard rules about that. I think ultimately it is more difficult, right? So, you know, we talked earlier about the importance of attracting a team and, you know, hiring people who are better than you. If you have a co-founder or two, you know, you've already made progress on a path to building a team. And so that's tremendously helpful, right? Mm -hmm. And ideally, you know, you have, there's a lot of, decisions making under uncertainty that happen when you're building a company. And when there are no right or wrong answers, a lot of it is about having someone whom you trust and respect with whom you can have debates about the direction you want to take and decisions you have to make. Um, certainly at some point, um, you know, an investor in a board role hopefully takes on that, uh, that role of a sparring partner, but especially in the beginning, I think, it's just much easier to have somebody you trust and respect sit next to you and uh, work with you through these issues. So I think that, you know, certainly makes life easier for, for co-founders. That being said, there are plenty of examples of, of solo founders who have done just as well. So I think it's a case-by-case -case decision probably. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I imagine, um, sort of let, let's sort of move it on to, uh, I guess, kind of like mistakes that, you've seen whether it's through sort of you know pitch decks or just you know in, in initial sort of meetings with founders it's always kind of interesting to learn from mistakes of of, of others um uh, you, you know so you've probably received uh, i don't know thousands upon thousands of uh, pitch decks you know what are the common mistakes that you see within um you, you know some of the pitch decks that that you look at that you're kind of happy to share so you, you know to give the best practice of you know try and avoid these things yeah so let me let me turn that around and not speak about mistakes but about things that i like to see in a pitch deck right sure, so, go for it. so maybe people if they're missing those pages or or topics uh this might be a hint right so i think i think it's really important to spend enough time on the team right uh and really flesh out the backgrounds and you know gain credibility early right so i think uh it's tremendously helpful uh, up front, you know, if you again have expertise in a market and if you have experience to to say it up front and um, because that's ultimately gonna give more weight to 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 the story that you tell. And then we ultimately invest in early stage companies where in the end it is all about the team. And so understanding who these people are as early as possible is very helpful, right? Um, I think when it comes to the market, it is helpful to have a realistic view of um, how big the market is. Uh, 
who the competitors are and what the existing solutions are, right? And so not mentioning competitors um, is probably not very helpful because most markets do have them. Uh, and if there are no competitors, that actually um, opens up the bigger question about why not. So oftentimes it's much easier to explain uh, the opportunity where there are competitors in the market already. And when it comes to the market size, I think it's helpful to have sort of the relevant applicable market, right? So when it comes to SaaS companies, saying how large the, you know, aggregate market spend is on SaaS is probably not particularly relevant, right? What's more relevant is how much do customers spend on a solution in your particular vertical that you would be looking to uh, to replace and where you're similar to, right? So if the numbers are overly inflated, they lose a little bit um, meaning with that, right? Um, and then same thing with forecasts. You know, I think there are a lot of benchmarks out there for how quickly companies grow, uh, especially in SaaS, how, how profitable they can become. It's probably a good idea to take a look at that. And um, if it turns out that your forecasts would make you a record-breaking company in any single metric by a factor of 10x, uh, it puts a lot of pressure to actually convince investors that that is going to be the case. So I think those are some of the things. And what about, I mean, you can say... Um you know whether uh, or highlight mistakes or things uh, as well that you you like to see within um, you know the first meetings with founders. So this can be like beyond the actual pitch deck and and, and presentation. You, you know what what are the kind of things um, that you you know are just kind of like absolute no nos in a in a first meeting and, and you know some of the things that actually that you you really do want to see. Yeah. So I think. Some of it is just, you know, I think it starts with, you know, when it comes to in-person meetings, playing to your strength, right? So if you're good at presentations, maybe you don't need a deck, but typically it is helpful to have a deck. So I think I would definitely, um, you know, use that as a guideline, um, sometimes also to manage uh, investors. You know, I will have all sorts of questions and try to go on all sorts of tangents and and having a deck with you is sort of a good way to bring back to the conversation. Um, I think starting with what, you know, what I would call basic principles, start high level macro and go down to the micro is typically, you know, how I like to think about it. It's sort of, I would really try to explain what the problem is you're trying to solve and why your solution is differentiated and ultimately customers uh, will be excited about it, right? Um, that is ultimately a little bit of the hook, right? Um, together with the market size, right? So sort of saying um, it's it's a large problem that we're solving and, and this is why the solution is relevant and customers will be excited about it. If I'm in the beginning not sort of either not getting it or do get it, and but even worse, just I'm not excited about it, everything else is not very relevant afterwards, right? So I think I would really spend a good amount of time laying that out, that foundation, because then, you know, you've answered the why, and then you can build up the how from there 
and so it's it becomes significantly easier. Um, and then the other point, you know, again, I think beyond the team that is hopefully going to be in the room, you know, it, it's it's the product, right? And so I think whenever possible, I would spend some time on the product and maybe even do a little demo um, and really convince, you know, an investor of the strength of the product and that you're taking it seriously because that is ultimately table stakes, right? So the market has to be large and the product, you know, the problem significant, but then if your product is not differentiated, um, you know, everything else doesn't really matter, right? So execution, et cetera, all of that is built on top of the product. So I think those are some of the things that, you know, um, some of the more uh, exciting meetings had in common for me. Okay, uh, thanks for that, Michael. And, and we've got time for uh, one final question um, now. So I think to to close off, you know, what advice uh, you, you know can you give to founders that are listening, that are looking to you know maybe raise seed or you know Series A, um, perhaps at a later stage, uh, um, you know, in in two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, look, I mean, I, th I think in particular in SaaS, uh, we're very fortunate in having access to some great resources out there. Um, in, you know, in terms of what good models look like, what KPIs and metrics. Uh, people should focus on. And so I would say there is little excuse to not be prepared at this point. So I would spend as much time as possible out there, you know, reading, uh, you know, things that Jason Lemkin writes on, or David Scott and, and, and talking to people to, um, you know, really be able to, to present your company in, um, you know, in, in a way that is, that is understandable and, and highlights its strength. And also, you know, um, if some of the metrics are not quite there yet, uh, gives uh, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, the opportunity to to explain how they're going to get there. So I, I think that's that's really what you know what uh, what I would say. And then you know try to find investors that you think are going to be excited about um, the the particular project and um, you know where you have alignment in terms of what success is going to mean. Right. I think that's that's another important part. Right. If um, you know you. Uh, you know, you as an investor are looking for for later stage opportunities. Uh, you may not be as excited to hear from uh, from a seed company and vice versa. Um, and you know, if you are uh, as as a VC are known to take very big bets on on companies that um, you know can be worth multiple billion dollars, that it might not be a good fit for for a founder who has different ambitions for for their company. So I think it's it's just doing doing the research. Both on, you know, uh, on the investors and, and the metrics that they want to see. Okay, uh, I, I mean, great advice there, uh, Michael. You know, all, all makes uh, you, you know a, a ton of sense, um, and uh, I, I think sort of overall some really really great insights into, you know, uh, the mind of a, a VC, and um, you, you know, hopefully those that are listening, you know, can uh, you know take a lot away from uh, this and uh, you know apply this to. Um, their uh, fundraising, if they are indeed fundraising in um, uh, 2017. So, on, on that note, um, Michael Tresco, partner at Eight Roads Ventures, you know, I want to say thank you very much for being a, a great guest on the show today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. And for those that are listening at home, uh, if you like this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, we'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next time.